Kia ora and welcome back to What and Why. You are here with Rachel and I am joined by my own dad, Dave, today. How, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Lovely to see you, <laughs> my favourite oldest daughter. <laughs> favourite only daughter, thank you. I've got stepdaughters too. Have oh, to, you know. true. you got to balance it out. And today we're here to talk about the topic, what is depression and what is your story? So if we could just kickstart and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So Dave, born and bred in the deep south, an Invercargill lad, moved north uh, to the big city. Uh, as we say to people down south, just popped up north to help out. So I haven't left the south, just helping out up there a little <laughs> bit. Um, where I met your mum and got married, had three kids, and um, uh, and then uh, later in life remarried and have uh, three set kids as well. So you're part of the Brady Bunch, Rachel. Uh, yes, yes, we call ourselves the Brady Bunch because how many? There's eight of us? Eight of us in total. All we need is a housekeeper called Alice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So we're here to talk today a bit about depression. And so I just want to ask you straight out, what is your story? Well, yeah, depression um, came and visited me for the first time 12 years ago now, so I'm 12 years into this journey, and it's funny when you reflect back on it, what was going on at the time, and there were major, you know, major stresses that were happening uh, that, that I think were all contributors to depression, and I guess one of the things I would say um, to people is that you, you can live in conflict with anyone, I think. And, uh, but the one person you can't live in conflict with is yourself. And I was making some um, bad decisions and was very internally conflicted about some of those things. And I think for me, that was the start of depression. And I remember saying to your mum uh, back, we were still together at the time and back then and just saying, how am I? She just said, you're sad, you know? And mm -hmm. and so um, that was the first time I guess I realised that there was something wrong. Um, so my story really started there or thereabouts. And I'd always said that if I, if I'd been visited by the mental health curse, if you like, or the mental health fairy, whatever you want to call it, the black dog, as, as um, Winston Churchill called it, that I would seek help. So I went to the doctor really quickly. And um, and the doctor, he just said to me, um, I'll, I'll give you some tablets. And some people say it's like a fog lifting. Um, and I'll give you some executive function back. And uh, the funny thing is I didn't think I was living in a fog until about two weeks later when the fog lifted. It was like, oh, my God, <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> there's, the sun is up. <laughs> Yeah. So I probably didn't realise, um, you know, how much of a mist I was living in at the time. Yeah, for sure. And so that was kind of the start of your journey. And, you know, starting the antidepressants for you was kind of opened the door, lifted the fog. And what's been your story since then? Yeah, I tell people all the time that I have a great life. You know, like I don't um, I don't see the fact that I and I'm going to jump you know, jump into the phrase I use all the time, I don't suffer from depression, I live with depression. Mm. And I don't look for a cause, I don't look for a reason. Um, I see it just like, um, you know, uh, it could be diabetes. Some people have, you know, unfortunately are struck by the curse of type 1 diabetes in their teenage years. There's no cause, it just happens. Mm. So I don't blame myself, I don't blame genetics, I don't blame people or circumstances. I just go, it's just something that, that I've got and it's something that I live with. So I have a great life. I think for me, you know, everyone's journey is really different. I think there's a couple of things that um, that I talk about a lot, and I don't remember the exact phrase, but at the time when I was first diagnosed was when John Kerwin, Sir John, was very big on TV with his advertisements and things. And you know, I just remember him 
I look down the camera and I, I think his phrase was something like, there is a way through. And just, um, you know, shout out to JK. Uh, you know, what a what an amazing message to have for, um, for people to hear someone who's trusted and liked saying there is a way through, even if you don't know what it is, you know. Um, so my story, you know, I was, I, I really do consider myself one of the lucky ones, Rach. Like I, um, we found medication that worked for me really quickly. Medication's not for everyone. I don't say that everyone living with mental health challenges should necessarily go on medication, but for me it worked. And for me, I didn't have to try multiple different drugs. I, I got straight on to one that worked and a dose that worked for me. So uh, as a consequence of that, um, I'm very comfortable with the fact that I've been taking medication for 12 years. I see it as no different from, as I said before, a diabetic taking insulin. I talk about it very openly. Um, I, I don't, it's, it's just a thing um, that I do. And, you know, if, if your insulin's messed up, you take insulin. If your serotonin's can I say fucked up? We'll take the serotonin. You know, like it's it. Why, why live a shit life? You know. Yeah. So, so for me, it's been good. Yeah. And so, do you find even now you're on antidepressants and fogs cleared? Do you still find dips and dives in your mental health? Does it still happen? Yep, absolutely. And I think, um, but not to the same extent. So I think the great thing about again, this is my story, and other people will have it much harder than I do. And some people will have it easier. I have friends that take nowhere near the same dose of antidepressants I do. Maybe it's because I'm a, a bigger guy. I don't know, but I, I do take a, a you know a reasonable dose. But um, I found that for me, it's taken the peaks and troughs off. And I think the other thing um, that I was again just really lucky. I stumbled across my early warning signs really early in the process. So I mentioned when I saw the doctor, he said he would give me executive function back. So I know and um, what that means is the ability to make decisions. So I know uh, there's two, two early warning signs for me when I'm taking a dip. One of them is that I have a low level of irritability. So I'll be grumpy about things that don't really matter. I'll be grumpy when someone takes my car park, when someone, you know, when some uh, idiot, I don't know, drops litter on the street, which you're allowed to be you're allowed to be grumpy about, but not be grumpy about, if you know what I mean. Like mm -hmm. don't litter as opposed to your <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear As opposed you. to wanting to give them a serve. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I don't give people serves, but you feel it, you know? And then the second thing is I stop getting stuff done. So I stop being able to make decisions. I procrastinate around things. Um, so understanding for me that those two things are early warnings. And if I've been in that state for a couple of weeks, I know that I'm off the pace. And that's when I need to look at things like um, the stuff that everyone talks about. How's my nutrition? Am I eating um, you know, relatively healthy food as opposed to just junk food all the time? How's my drinking levels? Am I, am I drinking more regularly than I should be or more, or more volume than I should be? And how's my sleep patterns? And how's my exercise? Am I moving and keeping going? I don't live a life. I don't go to the gym five days a week, but you know, I, I do like to ride my bike and I do still involved in community rugby and doing stuff. So I, I maintain movement, but if I stop doing movement, then you know, those things will contribute. Yeah. So what I hear is that it's quite a holistic approach to keeping your mind and body well. Yeah, it is. And and being aware of, of the of the early indicators, right? So what are the things that um that I know? It's like reading the gauges of your car, the sound desk that you're recording this on, like reading the gauges. Is he redlining because he's too much and <laughs> into the microphone or you know, what's going on? So being aware of those things and making small changes. I don't you know, don't often um, make big changes. 
uh, to this to the stuff that I'm doing. Yeah. So over this time, I mean, I've had to vary my medication. In 12 years, I've had to vary it up, I would say, twice, I would think, for you know six or eight weeks just because I've, I've been you know too far off the pace and needed to sort stuff out. Yeah, and can that also be because your body starts to build a tolerance towards antidepressants? Gee, um, we should qualify. We should have qualified all of this by saying that <laughs> yeah. we're, no, we're not medical professionals. We're not medical professionals. <laughs> we're not doctors. We're not psychiatrists or psychologists or anything like that. So the short answer is, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, what I know is, here's what I will say to people: um, I have a very strong and trusted relationship with my GP, and that relationship goes way back to um, before. Before he diagnosed me with depression, you know he was your GP when you were a kid, yeah. um, and he's a great guy. And uh, so we we can exchange messages now about stuff that's going on. And yeah, even when I've the, the couple of times I've varied my medication, um, don't um, d- talk to your GP. Yeah. But I've I've been able to message my GP and say, hey, this is what's going on. I'm thinking about doing this, and he would say, yeah, like yeah, vary the medication up and come and see me in the next week, and then we can talk about what's going on. Yeah. So don't do not do it off your own bat. No, for sure. There's quite strict routine that needs to be yeah. done around antidepressants and stuff Yeah, and well. for those that are listening that don't know, antidepressants don't work overnight. You don't take mm-hmm. one and feel better. They take weeks to get into your system. They can stay up to six weeks. So just because you're having a bit of a blue day, popping an extra pill isn't going to fix anything. Yeah, 100%. And I guess when we're talking about giving advice to other people, what would your advice be to those people living with depression, either who think they might be experiencing depression and be at the start of their journey or who are quite deep in through their journey? Do you have anything you'd like to say? I do. So I am... Um you only live once, you know, and why would you why would you live in a in a state that is suboptimal that that you're not at your best and able to enjoy this life that we've been given? And so, um, so I would say that there is a, there's absolutely a way through, um, but don't just wait it out. Go and seek out help. The, the, even though we know that in this um, country, mental health services are still chronically underfunded, there is still good help out there. So start with your GP and talk with them about what's going on, you will be surprised that uh, at how many, be a great question for you to ask someone on a podcast, Rach, find yeah. the GP, how many of their appointments are dealing with mental health? I think you would be surprised to find that it's probably the single biggest conversation that they have with people on a day-to-day basis, you know? Mm. that It's that and eczema and asthma. It's not flipping cancer and strokes and heart attacks. It's mental health and other common ailments that people are living with. Yeah, and for those who feel like they're really suffering, because I know you talked about how you live with depression, you don't suffer from depression, can you offer any advice around, you know, getting into that mental state of I'm living with, not suffering with? Yeah, I think it's just realising, you know, you have to, you have to sometimes to reframe things, you've got to break the frame that you lived in. And it's it's breaking the frame that I'm broken or there's something wrong. It's it's not. It's just a thing. Like a like living with mental health is just like saying I'm living with clouds in the sky outside or or I'm living in Southland where it blows and rains all the time. It's just a thing. It's external from me. It's not it's not what defines me. It's not who I am. What defines me is is my relationships, hopefully, you know, like um, uh, it's my relationships with my family. It's it's the um, my relationships with my friends more than what I do, you know, more than my job and more than the the, the illness or the sickness or the state, I guess that um that I live in. So I think externalize it like it's not it's not what defines me. It's absolutely not what defines. I talk about it openly. I want to license people to ask for help and talk about it, but it's not what defines me. What defines me is love and life, you know. 
Yeah, for sure. And do you have any um, resources you could recommend people reach out to if they are struggling with depression? For me, look, there's lots out there. For me, I'm defaulting back to my GP. My my GP has been the guy that has pointed me in the direction of different people and different resources at different times. Look, here I'm 12 years in. For the first time uh, in 12 years, I've seen a psychologist this year about a couple of things. And um, like that was what a mind-blowing experience. Over the years with different relationships and breakups and things, I saw counsellors and they, they definitely helped. But seeing a psychologist this year, only three or four times, just to unlock some of the mental constructs to reframe, to use that phrase, to reframe my approach to some things has been absolutely fantastic. So I'd start with a GP. Um, I would say, um, again, I'm really lucky. My GP got it and, and he was fantastic. If you're not getting the help that you need or you don't think you're getting the help that you need, go to another GP. Like talk to someone, find out who who is known for this stuff and who can help with it. Yeah, because you've really got to be your own advocate to some point. Sometimes, isn't there? You do, and and I, I, you know, you do have to be your own advocate. You've got to you've got to make the decision, and you know that's really hard when the black clouds hovering around. It's hard to make decisions, but making the thing that. I live once. Like this is it. Like today is the only today I'm going to have. So, and I don't want my todays to be like this. I want them to be different. And that's the first. That you know, that's the first point. And even if you can only hold that for a few minutes a day, while you while you learn, you know, to live and and to deal with it in your way, just starting with that process. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I just like to say, (laughs) just just get out there. You only live once. You know, you are loved. There there is someone who loves you. There is someone who cares for you. I was sitting with my GP one time and you rang me, Rach, while I was sitting in his office and um, and we finished the conversation just saying, love you. And and when I hung up the phone, he just said, see, that's the reason to keep going right there. Everyone's loved. And even if you don't know it, uh, even if you don't feel it, there's someone out there who cares for you. Um, You're worth more than, than living a suboptimal life. So call your GP. If your GP is not the person, call another GP and keep calling GPs until you can find a pathway that can help you get back to living your best life. Yeah, Thank you so much for that. This has been really uplifting and really positive. Thank you for joining me today. You're welcome.